they had seen all of this before, right? Just a short while before, a stone lay in front of a tomb. A corpse lay inside of the tomb. A corpse that had been there long enough that everybody agreed he had begun to decompose. Jesus and the disciples, Mary, Martha, many other people from Jerusalem strolled down to the tomb. Standing in front of the tomb, Jesus instructs those who would today be frightened for their life to roll it away. Just, just move the stone out of the way. As the stone clears the entrance to the door, the voice of God and the power of Christ speaks back into Lazarus what had been originally spoken to Adam thousands of years before. Come alive, awake, and come forth. The spark of life on the voice of Jesus echoes through the interiors of the tomb, begins the heart beating, the mind firing. He opens his eyes, wrapped up in clothing designed for his decomposition. Smells the deodorant of the last four days. Sweeps himself over the edge of the stone platform. Finds the ground with his feet. And makes for the light that shines in the darkness. As he reaches the outside light. These same guys rushed the entrance of the tomb. They begin to unwind the mummy to take the grave clothes off his head and his face. And their friend, who was most certainly dead, stands at the entrance of a tomb Alive and well. It just hasn't been that long ago. Lazarus has been walking the streets of Jerusalem with him. He's drawing as big a crowd as Jesus has been drawing. People all over the community, in fact, people all over Israel and Judea want to see this guy who was clearly dead. And is now alive. And now, just a short 
time later. They're having a hard time believing that it could happen again. You see, this, this day, this in-between day, this Sabbath between the death and the resurrection is a day of silence. A day of heartbreak, a day of sadness, a day that has brought nothing but tears. It's not a day of rest. It's a day of torment at the very best. And yet there they are in the upper room. Questioning, wondering. You know what happened to Lazarus just a while ago? He was dead. Could it happen to Jesus? I don't know, but Lazarus' tomb hadn't been sealed by the Romans. What if we need to roll the stone away? How's he going to get out? In and around that group are all kinds of personalities. (laughs) The tax collector calculates the possibility. I don't know. I don't know. How does a dead man wake himself? The zealot, well, he's trying to hold back his anger because what he really wants to do is grab his sword and kill the first Roman he comes to. The big mouth, suddenly quiet, winces every time he hears a rooster in the distance. And it seems on this Sabbath that they're everywhere. The woman, still filling the room with the of Jesus' anointing, Smells her hair. And the tears that fell on his dusty feet just, just days ago streamed on her face. And they'd begun to moisten her clothes. Most of the people in the room have run out of tears and they've They've begun just just to make that sound when you have no more tears. Softly. In the corners of the room. Very few voices. Very few words spoken. But the sound. Night finally falls. As it does, they try to find a place to lay their heads. It's a big room. 
They didn't really come prepared to camp. Some drift off to their homes nearby. Mary, Martha, and the freshly minted Lazarus head back to Bethany. The place gets quiet. Even the tears, even the sepseps stop. Most of them don't sleep much that night. They just wonder. When their eyes do close, terrifying dreams, anxieties begin to fill them. One woman awake very early in the morning before the sun is up. Decides she is going to find her way to the last place she saw Jesus. You know when your heart is breaking? When you don't have any answers? It's a good idea to go to the last place you saw Jesus. If you're a believer and you're here this morning and for whatever reason, whatever, whatever horrible rock rolled in front of your life and sealed you off from the future and from the opportunities you thought were yours. If you don't think there's a way out, can I just remind you that there once was a day when Jesus was the hope you had. And if you're wondering what to do, go to the place where you last saw Jesus. Mary shows up. Having rested a little bit during the night, a fresh batch of tears on her face, she comes to the tomb. She finds the stone rolled away. But the, the open tomb doesn't bring her hope. It brings her more anxiety. She looks around. She can't find anybody to tell her what's happened. The Roman seals lie in pieces with the ropes they tried to wrap around the stone at the opening of the tomb. She kneels down and she peeks in. There's no one there. So she heads back. She heads back to find her friends. The fellowship of the broken. She goes to the upper room where the disciples are still there beginning to stir as it is still barely, barely, barely dusk. And she finds Peter. And she finds the other disciple, John. 
She probably, in the midst of her arrival, wakes anybody who's had any sleep. Peter and John, hearing that the body of Jesus is missing, head out the door. And what starts as a walk turns into a trot, turns into a full run. And Peter and John run toward the temple, toward the the tomb. I'm always amused. I'm always amused. That is, they are both running. And 70, 80 years later, John still reports that he won. (laughs) Peter isn't even around anymore. It's been 30 years since Peter was crucified, and John still wants anybody who reads this record to know he got there first. (laughs) He stops at the entrance to the tomb dead in his tracks. Looking at the the carnage that was a Roman seal, the power of the authority of the emperor laying on the ground. Mary said nothing about opening the seal, but this can't be good. As John takes in the possibilities of being on the wrong side of the emperor and on the wrong side of the Jews... Peter blows right past him in the opening in the the tomb. He says nothing. He just stops and looks. There in front of him are the remnants of what once held Jesus. Cloth. Cloth. The last thing encumbering the resurrection was some cloth. He seems to say nothing because John comes in finally after curiosity or something, pulls him inside. He surveys the situation. He sees the same clothes. The, the linen that had covered Jesus lying there and the, the, the head covering folded and laying there. John believes. This is the first inkling that any of the disciples might be getting what's going on. John believes. He can't possibly know fully what he believes. He just believes something miraculous has happened right here. That in fact, these empty linens are a demonstration of a miracle. The scripture just simply says, and they went home. Peter's still wondering. John with the first tiny kernel of belief in the resurrection starting to germinate inside. Mary, who apparently had followed these men 
maybe not running. Is still standing outside the tomb when they're gone. And she's still crying. The tears flowing down her face. She decides to look inside the tomb again just in case she missed something the first time. And the Bible says she stoops. So I don't think she went in. I think she just bent over and peeked in. She sees two men in white, glowing robes, shining in the dawn's covering. And they say, Why are you crying? She had to want to say, Are you kidding me? What's weird is, she doesn't realize who she's talking to. Like, There are guys dressed in white glowing all over the place that day. She says, they put the body of Jesus somewhere and I don't know where. Do you guys know? They don't say anything and she turns to leave. As she turns to leave, she bumps into another guy glowing in white. And again, I don't know, maybe through the mist of the tears, maybe through the early dawn sun, she just doesn't get it. She says, you look like maybe you're the gardener. Do you know where they took the body of Jesus? You see, Mary's stuck in a reality that has passed. And she can't see clearly the, the miraculous present she's living in because she's stuck somewhere in a reality that's already passed. Man, does that speak to our hearts. How often do we find ourselves stuck in a reality of the past that is fogging our understanding of the present? We're carrying these loads of the past around with us, things we've done, things done to us, things we have imagined, things we think are blocking, things we think are holding us back. We're stuck so badly back there, we cannot see the blessings that are right in front of us. This woman is talking to Jesus. She thinks he's got a hedge trimmer in his hand. I think if we could let go of some of the things that create that fog oh man we might see clearly for once and we might just see Jesus Jesus doesn't answer where they've taken the body he doesn't even explain who he is he just says her name, Mary. She had heard this before. She had heard this tone before. She had heard this voice before. She knew who this was. This isn't the gardener. This is the Messiah. 
She had walked with him. She had talked with him. She had heard him call her name for the last three and a half years. She now knows who this is because she'd heard the voice before. She recognized the voice. I think a lot of people are going to arrive in heaven and they're going to hear Jesus call their name and go, Oh, that's what I've been hearing all my life. That little whisper that I've heard in my ear, that little, that little voice when I was up against it and thought I was all by myself, that, that, that sound that spoke out of the darkness to me, it was you all along. The familiar voice of Jesus to the one who listens. She turns to him and she says, Rabboni. She calls him the teacher. We don't know exactly what happens next. All we know is that Jesus has to shed this woman because he has not yet gotten to his father. I just think she grabs him. I just think she throws herself at him and just holds on. And he can feel the clinch. He can feel that she's not planning on letting go anytime soon. And he says, Mary, you've got to let go. I have not yet ascended to my father but I wanted to talk to you before I left. Before I go and see the Father whom I've been separated from for 33 years, I wanted to wait to talk to you. I decided to hang here for a little bit because I need to tell you something. I needed you to hear my voice and know I was alive. I've chosen to talk to you because of your heart. Because you've tuned yourself to the frequency and have accustomed yourself to hearing me. At the dinner table, you chose to listen. When others were busy doing you were busy listening. And I knew you'd recognize my voice. He says, Mary, go tell the disciples I'm alive. She splits. She goes to find the disciples. I would have liked for her to stay and figure out what happened next. I'd like for her to tell us, hey, and then Jesus went up into heaven. Nope. No record. She's been given a task. She's been sent on a mission. And she is off to complete it. Now she runs. She runs back to where the disciples are still in the upper room. Peter and John have Join them. A discussion is going on now. We don't know what happened, but the tomb is empty. We don't know where they took him, but somebody took him. John says, I don't know that somebody took him. Maybe, maybe not. And Peter says, no, it's empty. Quit trying to fill your head with that stuff. He's gone. And, her head, and, and that rooster crows somewhere in the distance. And in Peter's momentary silence, the door flings open. And there she is. And she says, 
He is risen. Do you realize that the Christian greeting for the last 2,000 years was first heard on the lips of this woman, this woman of a bad reputation, this woman who didn't have the good sense not to waste a full pound of expensive perfume on Jesus. This woman who days before broke the box because she was all in flat out. If it was you, who would you want talking for you? The disciples, awesome guys that they are, Don't believe her. It all seemed to them like idle tales. One translation says nonsense. And they did not believe. You know, we hear Thomas and we think doubt. But the reality is every single person is blown away. And they question. I don't know which person you relate to in this crowd. I don't know if you're, if you're like me. And you like some evidence. If you want to hang your faith on something a little, I don't know, historical. If you want to hear from uh, Pliny or if you want to hear from Justinian, if you want to hear some commentary from somebody in the ancient past that there actually was a Jesus. I don't know if you were dragged here by your family this morning and you're like, ah, oh, man, church, are you kidding me? But I'm telling you, he's alive. And that fact changed the lives of these doubting people so dramatically that every single one of them would breathe his last breath in confessional of Jesus Christ. This life so powerfully changed the world that it changed the calendar. There is that moment before there was Jesus and that moment after there was Jesus but the hinge upon which it all swings is Jesus. If you are looking for some evidence, I'm telling you, so were they. If you're trying to find a reason to believe, so were they. With the one exception perhaps of John and now the voice of Mary to support him, the rest of the group, probably more than just the disciples in the upper room, are all questioning, could this really be true? How does a dead man bring himself back to life? I mean, it was cool with the widow of Nain's son. They're, they're carrying him out of the city. He's still there on top of that, that plank. They don't even have the money for a coffin. And he, he steps up, raises the kid. It's amazing. It was cool in Jairus' house. I mean, she's still warm. Jesus goes up and, and raises her from the dead. It was phenomenal outside the tomb of Lazarus. Roll away the stone. Lazarus, come forth. Amazing how he walked. But how does a dead man raise a dead man from the dead? 
So they questioned. So they doubted. So they needed more information. So, Jesus came back. He zipped off to heaven for an inauguration. (laughs) Caught the first flight back. And later that day, went for a walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. He finds Cleopas and the unknown friend strolling along toward Emmaus, having a conversation about what has happened today. They don't even they don't even know where to start or how to think. The women have said yes. John says maybe. Everybody else says no. We don't know what to think. And then Jesus begins to speak to these guys and takes them from the writings of Moses and the prophets through everything in Scripture, explaining the story. One after another after another. The texts begin to pile up. Matthew Levi loves this story because you can read it in his own gospel. He just lays it out. This happened because of the prophet's prediction. This happened because of the prophet's prediction. This happened because he loves it. All of his boxes are filled. All of the check marks are checked. In, done, clear. Jesus did this according to the Old Testament prophecies. Yes, He's alive. If you need your boxes checked, it's okay. God doesn't mind. Just do the research. Spend the time. Figure out it's out there. The information's there. You can get your boxes checked. If that's, okay, if that's your thing, go with that. They listen. Their hearts begin to just ignite with the story Jesus is teaching as they walk along. Seven miles. This is not a quick rock around the block. This is, this is a long, two-hour, maybe more journey. They get to Emmaus. It's kind of getting towards the end of the day. No use wandering around too much more. They're going to rest there. And they invite Jesus to stay for the night. There's a good idea. They don't know who he is. Just like Mary, they're looking right in his face and can't figure out who he is. We don't know what transformation took, took place. Something happened that transformed the face or the, the, the image of Jesus so that he wasn't the same as he was when he left. I'm kind of happy about that because I expect a transformation when I get to heaven. I'd like to not be the same as I am now when I'm there. You? Yeah. They sit down at the table. They get ready to eat. Jesus does something that they have seen before. As they begin the meal, he takes the bread and he breaks it. And as he blesses the bread, they get it. Suddenly, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that He disappeared. They've been walking with this guy for a couple of hours. They've been sweating this journey out along, talking, listening, hearing, their hearts burning within them. And right when they understand who they're actually talking to, he's gone. 
Have you ever felt like that with God? Right when you finally were gaining the understanding you were hoping for, right when you were hearing the words you thought you wanted, right at that moment when it was finally beginning to clear up for you, poof, he's gone. Or silence. You know why he left? Because it was no longer beneficial for them for him to stay. If that is true in the lives of these two, couldn't it be true in my life too? That the heavens have gone silent because He has something for me to do. That He's disappeared because I need to go on a mission with what He's given me. Not just try to gather more. The two of them leave immediately. They head back that very hour. They return to Jerusalem, the seven miles. I bet they jogged back. They enter the upper room where the disciples are. They keep using this word, and they found the disciples, like the disciples were lost or like the disciples were hiding. Well, yeah, they are hiding, but they know where they are. They've been in the same room all day. They've been in the same room for two days. In fact, they've probably been in the same room for about four or five days. They enter in, and they say, the Lord is risen indeed. Now you've got the testimony of one girl, maybe a couple of others. You've got the testimony of two guys. Now the disciples are starting to warm up. First century ladies' testimonies from a woman were not even really valid in court. These two guys start to tell their story. And in the middle of telling the story, boom! I'm back! Don't you like how Jesus is kind of popping in and out of the story? Mary's down at the tomb, and there he is, and then he's gone. And then these guys are going down the road to Emmaus, and there he is, and then he's gone. Now they rush back to Jerusalem. They go inside this locked room, fearful that the, for their lives, the disciples are barring and locking everything up and closing the windows. In and they go. They t- begin to tell the story. We're walking down the road to Emmaus. We're, we're listening. He's telling us all this amazing stuff. And she starts at Moses, the prophets. He's going through everything and everything. And it's like amazing. And Matthew's going, check, check, check. Fill in the box, fill in the box, fill in the box. Awesome. I'm in it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting it. I'm, I'm with you guys. Okay. And in the middle of the story, boom, there he is again. Would it scare you? It scared me. He shows up and he says, peace. Be still, wheezy. Every time he shows up, relax. It's okay. Then he begins to speak to them. Shows them his hands. Why? Because the nail prints are still there. Shows them his feet. Now, he didn't have to take off his shoes because he was probably wearing sandals. He just had to point. Still, they stood there. I like this. In disbelief, filled with joy.
right? Wouldn't that be what you'd be doing? A minute ago, two guys who were on the road to Emmaus were telling him a story about it. Jesus had come and he would tell them all this stuff from Moses and the prophets. And boom, there he is. And now he's like, look, hands, look, feet, I'm me. Yes, it's here. And they're like, they're excited. They're a little nervous. They don't know what to believe. But they're excited. And they're a little nervous and they don't know what to believe, but they're excited. And the tears are gone and there's a big grin on their faces, but they don't know what to do with themselves. What do you do? Say, hey, hey, good to see you. I knew you'd show up. Probably not. And they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Luke records that they were so dumbfounded, Jesus finally says, look, it's me. I have a body. Touch me. You can see it's real. I'm human. I'm, feel me. And then just to add to their belief, he says, all right, do you guys have anything to eat? I'll prove this to you. I'll eat. They give him a piece of broiled fish, best they could do, apparently. And somehow the act of eating is enough. Hands, feet, side, fish. It's really you. The disciples, ten of the disciples, are sold. Mary's in the corner saying, I told you guys. You wouldn't believe me because I'm a girl, but I told you. John is on the other side saying, I just do this with what really happened. I, I don't know how I do, but I do. Peter's saying, shut up, John. One of the 12 disciples was absent that day. We've heard from him this morning. Thomas isn't there. And he says, look guys, I love you guys. But I also know you guys. You four guys, fishermen. I know you lie. You're a zealot. You're a tax collector. The rest of you guys are just a mix of whatevers. And you're expecting me to believe on your testimony that a dead man raised himself from the dead. Do you realize how crazy that sounds? And they're standing around going, yep, yep, absolutely crazy, but true. He says, I'll believe it when I see it. I will believe it when I have empirical evidence that in fact it's true. When I can touch those nail prints that you said you touched, when I can put my finger in the side, then I'll buy it. Do you want Jesus just to whack him? Do you want Jesus just to show up and smack him on the back of the head? He doesn't. You see, he knew Matthew needed his boxes filled and checked. So he filled some boxes and he made some check marks. 
He knew John just needed to be in the moment, in the presence of those empty grave clothes. He knew the hearts of each of these men and he made it his mission to demonstrate to them what they needed to know. And so eight days later, he shows up. And he says, Thomas, come here. This is the worst day to be called on in school. Put your finger in my hand. Ah, You were listening, weren't you? Yep. Come on. You said when you saw it and you touched it, here, touch it. And he starts pulling his shirt up. All right. Put your finger in the scar. Lord, I know. Put your finger in the scar. You said you would believe it when you touch it. Man, you hear everything. Yep. He puts his finger in the scar. Now, Thomas knows something about himself that maybe you know about yourself. Thomas knows that when he's in, he's in. Are you one of those folks? Are you one of the people that when you're in, you're in? There's no going back. There's no other thing. This is just it. You're in. I think Thomas understood about himself that if he was going to believe this, he was going to be completely all 100% in like Mary and her broken alabaster box. There's nothing you can do with a broken box but dump the contents on Jesus. The testimony of this man, finger in the side of Jesus, falling to his knees, says, my Lord and my God. He's the first one to recognize that if this is in fact the resurrected Messiah, he is not just this awesome being. He is in fact truly God. So I have one last question this this day between the crucifixion and the resurrection, this day when silence rested on this upper room, this day when tears flow out from all the people who thought they knew, what will it take for you? What will it take to be all in? All in. If he says career change, I want you to go to Africa and preach, you go. If he says, like the rich young ruler, empty your bank account, give it away to the poor and come and follow me, you do it. What will it take to be all in? I mean, shoot, we have a hard enough time to be in all awake during worship, let alone being all in. What will it take for you? What do you need him? Do you need to touch him? Do you need to hear from him? Do you need to hear what the scripture says? What will it take for you to be all in?
doesn't matter the embarrassment. doesn't matter the cost. doesn't matter the fee. It doesn't matter the time commitment. What will it take for you to fall at his knees and say, my Lord and my God, to know the implications of transformation and change that that lays out in front of me. Every single one of these disciples breathed his last breath in testimony to Jesus Christ. What would it take to get us across that line today? Because if you can understand it, he will deliver on it. If you can put it to voice, I just need to touch the hands. I just need to put my finger inside. If you can put it to voice, he will deliver on it. So what is it? What comes to your mind? What would it take to move me across this line? I don't know that he's going to ask any more out of you than you've already given. I don't know that he's going to raise the bar at all. But what if he wants to? What if you're the key that he's been waiting for? What if it's your one simple human life that will change everything? What will it take? Tell him. Jesus says, Thomas, it's awesome. I'm so glad that you get it. I'm so glad that I could answer what you wanted me to do. I could show up here and let you touch me. He said, but I pronounce a blessing on the generations who will follow you. I pronounce a blessing on all those who will not have the physical empirical touch but will still believe. Before you walk out the door today, challenge yourself to answer the question. What am I waiting for? What do I want? What will move me? Let's pray. Father, it is a messy thing. Belief. We all come here with hang-ups and mess-ups and we give you our mess-ups. We're also coming with our questions and our doubts. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. 
Lord, we choose to follow, but we don't have the strength to make this journey on our own. Take us by the hand and lead us home. We've brought some things we're not sure you can reconcile. And every time that rooster crows, we're reminded of what we've done. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We lay these things before you, asking for your mercy and your grace and your power. We're asking you to show up in our house and in our home and our family. We're asking you to, to wipe away the things that frighten us about ourselves. In the name of the resurrected Son of God.